This is Peter. And this is Tom. And you're listening to History Teachers Talking Podcast. All right, this is Peter Zablocki and Thomas Reska, and welcome back to our podcast. Tom, what do we got? We are going to be looking at the basically the hunt after the fact, the hunt for John Wilkes Booth who on um, his network of conspirators and um, what eventually led to his capture and then ultimate killing by Union soldiers in April 1865. Yeah, the famous or infamous 12-day manhunt for John Wilkes Booth. And it was it was a huge manhunt. Too. It was it was 10,000 soldiers like he was the most wanted when you talk about like America's most wanted. This guy was America's most wanted. Exactly. Like before the yeah. before the term like public enemy number 1 was coined later yeah, on in like the 20s. Like, that's it. This guy was definitely it. They were looking for him. They had to find him. Remember, like, people don't realize Lincoln was killed, and he was actually being put to rest. His, his, the funeral procession was going through the country, and they still didn't have the guy who killed him. They knew who did it. They just couldn't find him yet. So yeah. it, was, it, it, had, it had to happen. There's no way they were they could not capture this guy. And I think that, you know, oftentimes the actual narrative of this is told through, like, the Lincoln assassination and the whole Booth chase is like an afterthought. So we thought, yes, I think, we yeah, talked like about Booth this. dies. Yeah, but there's a lot to it. And it's been coming out, like, I think in more recent years, too. There's been more documentaries. There's been books in the past about it, but more people yeah. are looking into it. A book called Manhunt. Uh, awesome. If anyone has a chance to read it. Although, I mean, reading's kind of tough these days, right? <laughs> Tom, how often do you read? I read all the time. So do I, actually. I, I find yeah. time to read. That's what I go to. I probably. Like if I had to count how many books I read in 2021, I honestly could not count because I probably read roughly five, five, six books, maybe five books a month. Kind of nuts. I oh, I read like I read like three or four books every night. All right, all right, whatever, whatever, whatever. Well, they're, they're, they're kid, they're children's books, you know. I'm reading <laughs> uh, those golden uh... books are great and stuff like that, but I'm reading a couple of those every night. Oh, dude, that was good. They're that great. was good. That's good. Uh, well, yeah, you do, you do have like a three-year-old there. Um, so, yeah. Keeps keeps busy. Keeps me busy. <laughs> keeps you busy. Anyway, so let's uh, let's talk about John Wilkes Booth. Obviously, the chase for Booth starts with the actual assassination. On, yeah. On April, April 14th. 14th, right? 1865, yeah. We all know what happens, right? John Wilkes Booth, he shoot, shoots Abraham Lincoln at Ford's Theater, right? Um, yep. He had his motivations, right? He's a Confederate sympathizer, sympathizer though he never actually um, fought in the war. And he got kind of like, um, he felt like a coward because of that. So a lot of it wanted, um, a lot of people say also he wanted attention. And he did plan prior to this to actually kidnap Lincoln. That was the first plan. But yeah. then as he, as the war was cu- close, closer to coming to an end, he, re- he kind of realized not to do something much more um, intense in order to save the Confederacy. As long as there's still a Confederacy left to save, that's kind of like what he thought and what he believed. We all know what happens after that. He sneaks in because he was well known. He's able to well, get in Well, that's the thing. I think we need to touch upon the fact like yeah. this guy was, by every definition, this like early American heartthrob. His family Everyone was well known too. Him. Very famous. 26 years old, by the way. Super popular. Very recognizable stage actor of oh, his yeah. day, which is also why... You know, once he shoots Abe Lincoln in the back of the head and then jumps down on the stage, like people know who he is. And they know what he looks like. It's not exactly. like it's... This people knew his face. He was a very famous American actor. And as you said, he was definitely a, you know, a Confederate sympathizer. And, and it was his parents that talked him out of joining the war effort. They're like, dude, like yeah. we're, it was a family of actors. Like we have money. We have a status. Like we are... 
you know, known, like, you are not, that's not going to happen. But he had this, like, ongoing, would you say obsession? I would say obsession, right? Yeah, it was definitely an obsession. And then as the war came closer to an end, it got even worse. He's a coward now, like, because he didn't fight for it. He believed in it, and now he has to do something to what he believed. And he actually sent um, letters to his sister. Mm-hmm. Talk about don't open it until my death and in it we'll talk about it later but he talks about like why he did what he did was because you know i had to follow my convictions he really believed that it was like he was an instrument of god that lincoln yeah. was a tyrant and that he had to kill lincoln and he was simply doing god's work on earth by getting yeah. rid of lincoln so it yeah. was like really he had these really strong beliefs that led him down this road nuts and he is a native of Maryland, by the way, which was a slave state. However, it was a slave state that chose to stay in the Union, uh, known as one of those border states. Um, and he hated abolitionists, very outspoken about abolitionists. Yeah. Uh, he thought they were trying to destroy the country that he loved because, you know, he identified with that, you know, the slave owning uh, majority, I guess. So let's do this. Uh, as you kind of brought up before, you know, as it defeats looking increasingly likely for the South, um, him booth gets a bunch of his friends these co-conspirators and they, they hatched this plan as you mentioned in 64 to kidnap lincoln um which they thought could save the confederacy but by april it becomes very obvious that the war is all but over like it's done it's um done. we all know the stage it is in ford's theater there's a play that's going on it is a funny play um as we also know john wilkes booth knows the people at this uh, particular establishment he actually gets his mail there he has like his p.o box there so he learns that Lincoln's going to be there that morning. Um, he goes to the theater, you know, to get his mail, finds out Lincoln is going to be there that night. And then things kind of go into motion. He ha- gets a few other conspirators who are supposed to assassinate essentially everyone in succession to yeah. the highest office. Johnson was supposed to be assassinated, right? Like, yep. um, Seward. Powell, um, the whole one. Yep. Stewart, uh, so Stewart, Stewart gets stabbed, right? But he fights Stewart gets stabbed, like hardcore stabbed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. he survives. Here comes the night. John Wilkes Booth uh, actually drills a hole in the small door behind the box, presidential box. When Lincoln gets in there, he's watching him through the hole. Again, not going to rehash the story, but um, there's a funny scene. People laugh, and that's when he uses the the perfect opportunity to basically shoot the president in the back of the head. And then he proceeds to jump onto the stage. And everyone's like, whoa, like, wait, first of all, what just happened? And then you start hearing upstairs that the president's been shot, the president's been shot. But at the same time, as he jumps down, he screams, right? Thus, death to tyrants. Yeah, well, that's always one of those. Is that really what he said? Probably something like that. But he, he screams something, jumps off. As he jumps off, his boot or spur, I guess, gets caught on the, on the curtain. He breaks yep. his leg and he runs off. But people see him. They know it's him. Yep. Like, that's it. They recognize him. They know it's John Wilkes Booth just shot President Lincoln. That's yep. it. That is known from the people inside Ford's either at this time. And that, this is when the manhunt starts, right? Yeah, because it's, it's, there's all this pandemonium. People are going crazy, right? Mary Todd Lincoln is screaming. People are saying, you know, grab that guy. And then the pandemonium, a Booth runs out of stage door down alley. And then he, where he gets on a horse that was held from by one of his co-conspirators, right? Yep. And uh, that's it. He was on the yeah. horse and kind of like... Got out of there he goes quickly. Out. And this is interesting because the, the city itself, Washington, is a closed and guarded city. This is, after all, still a time of war. So you can't really get in and out of Washington unless you went through these um, specific, um, what do you call it? Um, well, I don't want to say booths, <laughs> but they are booths, I guess. Like you have these guard booths. 
um, at all different points that are in coming all the roads and bridges like all in and out of the city. So you would think that would stop him because as he's riding through the night, he is technically stopped right at the uh, Navy Yard Bridge, I think, to be specific. And while he's stopped, they're like, um, yeah, dude, sorry. Like no one really knows the president shot yet. There's no phones. Yeah. But, yeah. He, he came through. There was, he didn't have there's no phones, lack of telegraphs. Nothing. And a lot of the area was like sparsely settled. So he was able to kind of. Yeah. It's, and it's, nine, like it's 9 p.m. Right? It's 9 p.m. Yeah. He gets to the guard and he basically tells the guard. Um, the guard's like, look, you, you can't leave right now. Um, and Boo's like, yeah, I know. But like, I actually waited because I'm kind of famous. And like, I kind of waited for it to get dark for me to leave. So on and so forth. And the guard's like, oh, okay, fine. And lets him go. And so he actually makes it out into Maryland, right, from D.C. And he's and accompanied then, by a man named David Harold. We have to talk about this because Harold is going to be with him for a while. Until he's the through end, the basically. whole thing mostly, right? Yeah. yeah. So, so David Harold. Cons- conspirators, yeah. He's one of the conspirators. Uh, he was supposed to meet, um, right, as soon as he got out of Washington, D.C., he was supposed to meet with one accomplice, Harold and Lewis Powell. But how Powell never makes it. Yeah, so he tries to kill Seward, um, who is the Secretary of State at the time, and he stabs the bejesus out of him. But Seward lives. Um, Powell runs away, never actually makes it out of Washington, D.C. David Harold, however, does. And he also t- somehow bribes the guard at the Navy Yard Bridge again. Um to let him out of Washington, D.C. But still, people don't know yet throughout Washington that this is happening. Yeah, it's but, not like now there'd be like, I guess, a well, like massive oh, please. You know, yeah. the old Shut TikTok or whatever <laughs> yeah, and yeah. stuff like that. But um, um, yeah, it'd be like big news. Like, although you know, then, by the end of the evening, by, by within hours, actually, Washington is completely locked down. Um, yeah. And the reason for that is because Secretary of War Edwin Stanton basically takes charge of the federal government, which is later kind of questioned as whether this is something that's constitutional or not, because the Secretary of War literally set up uh, the federal government, the executive branch, inside the front room of the P- uh, Peterson boarding house where Lincoln was dying in an adjacent room. And he basically just gave all the orders he could, like, ask this person, detain this person, find any associate of John Wilkes Booth, shut down Washington, D.C. Uh, he sent for military police, Pinkerton agent, uh, District Metropolitan Police Force. I mean, he literally just, like, shut down Washington, D.C. and took no, he, needed, he wanted They wanted to find this guy. Yeah. Like, it probably, it, uh, constitutionally, yeah. No, not valid. Right? It's yep. not, his, not his call. But people were listening to him. He took control. He took command. And, be, you know, the goal was find Booth. Yep. They know it's Booth at this point. The people, they know who it is. So let's find this guy. Well, so, so by the 15th, right? I mean, literally by the next morning, they found Mary Surratt. And she's important yeah. because they, based on interviewing people at night, because they knew it was Booth. So who has Booth been hanging out and seen around town in with? And he's been seen with Mary Surratt's son. Just so Mary Surratt owns a tavern in nearby Maryland, but she also owns a boarding house in Washington, D.C. So by the morning of the 15th, so the shooting happened on the night 14th, morning of 15th, the Metropolitan Police detectives arrive at her boarding house to basically question um, John Surratt, who they know has been hanging out with John Wilkes Booth. He's not there, but the mom, Mary Surratt, is. When they come back to question her, Mary Surratt later, that point who arrives at her boarding house, but the third conspirator that was trying to kill Seward and he kind of couldn't get out of Washington. So he arrives there. And at that point they're like, all right, who's this guy? Why is he dressed as bad? Why is his blood over him? So they arrest this guy. They bring him to secretary of state Seward's family and they'll identify him like, yes, that's the guy that tried to kill her dad. Boom. 
right? They have basically one of the conspirators and potentially Mary Surratt is the other conspirator. So they now have them within 24 hours. They're kind of unraveling what is happening because and they're going to, they're going to interrogate them and get more information. That's what I'm saying, because they're going to interrogate them and they're actually getting information from these people, or at least from one. I wouldn't say that there's conflicting evidence, but some people suggest that there's a lot of debate with Mary, right? Yeah. Whether Mary was really guilty and all this. So was it really they're not sure. They're saying sometimes she was, sometimes she wasn't, but whatever booth did go there. Right. And they leave yeah. their, they, they, and they do leave the um, tavern. Um, heavily armed. They get a lot of yeah. they, they get food, they get but they get weapons also. And then that's when they um arrive shortly after in Maryland, the home of Dr. Samuel Mudd, right? About four AM on April fifteenth. Yep. So here's John Wilkes Booth and his conspirator. Yeah. Maryland, um, yeah, they're still in Maryland. They're trying they, they're trying to figure out they, they want to get to Virginia, but they're still in Maryland. And he's obviously really hurt. So that's what his leg's broken. So they go to they go to Mud's house. Mud yeah. was a town physician. He was a well known Confederate sympathizer. They don't think he knew who these two men were. Mm-hmm. And or what they did. They don't think he had any clue. All right. He later proclaimed his innocence. He was sent to prison anyway, but he said, I had no idea. I have these guys come here. You know, he's got a broken leg. I'm a doctor. Right. So he sets Brute's broken leg, set him to rest for a few hours while he was lying in bed. Um, Lincoln was actually dying. Lincoln was dying slowly um, in Washington. And then um, when Bruce rose, the future, uh, the next morning, they continued riding. They just like, started leaving they just got off right away because they knew they couldn't stay there that long mm-hmm. and that's when they go to a swamp right i think you saw this yep this is when they get this is when they leave um there and then they get into um a swamp area and this is where they we're going to kind of hang out here for a while we're going to hang out in this swamp i forgot the, the, the exact name of it i can't remember off the top of my head i'm trying yeah, to look at this here but um well the issue here too is that they're already Zia, being followed. Zia, Zia swamp. Zia swamp. Yeah, they're already getting followed. The, the federal agents are on their are on their trail. Yep. Um, and they they're interrogating basically anyone that they can. Um, they know that they're in Maryland, and the reason they know they're in Maryland is because they were able to figure out like who got out of Washington that night, and they were able to find the sentry at the Naval Bridge, and, and they figured out that's the way he took the two of them took. So they're like, all right, so they're heading in generally this direction. And they started yeah. kind of – that's how they, they got to uh, the doctor's house. And the doctor's like, yeah, I helped this guy. Well, the doctor helped him. You know, when the doctor – what happens – and I saw a couple things with this. I forgot to mention it before. But the doctor basically the next morning read the newspaper or got a telegram whatever that um, he heard that there was a fugitive running that killed the president. He didn't know the president was dead the day before. Mm-hmm. So he kind of realized, oh, my God, these guys are probably the ones who killed the president. He doesn't turn them in, though, but he does kick them out. And that's why he got thrown in jail. Like, you know, why didn't you kick – turn this guy in and it would have been in his interest to, to turn booth in because they were giving out a um a hundred thousand dollar reward which in today's mo- in oh, yeah. that money back then that's like 1.6 million dollars that's yeah. a huge amount of money to just turn these guys in so i'm sure he would have done it if he knew what they were i don't care how much you sympathize with the south all right you're gonna you know 1.6 million you know you're gonna turn these guys in and you know so by the by within 24 hours um as far as the police and you know, the United States government know, and the world really knows by this point because newspapers are chugging us out. Within 24 hours, we know we're searching for two men. We know we're searching for them. They're traveling together. One of them has a broken leg and they're hiding somewhere in Maryland. Like that's not, that's not kind of a lot within 24 hours. Again, it still takes 12 days to get this going. And the reason for that is because Booth and Harold, as they flee, um, you know, they are kind of very good at hiding 
You know, well, the high, they also they when they went into this one swamp, um, Harold hunted in that area. Well, what happened first is they tried to cross, they tried to cross into Virginia, but like the currents took them back to Maryland. They realized yeah. they're still in Maryland, but this other part of Maryland, he realized he, um, Harold knew where this this wooded area, so he knew it very well. He knew good places to hide, and he also knew how to hunt in that area. So he's like, we can actually survive here for a while. I'll be able to do this. And they were saying at times they could actually hear the Union soldiers. They could hear the Union soldiers talking. That's how close they were. At times, they would hide in these like very dense pine forests and pine areas and stuff like that, and they were able to just yeah just uh, elude capture for four days, just hiding out in this in this swamp um, slowly. Hey, podcast listeners! I'm Paul Brandis, introducing my podcast Countdown to Dallas. It's a fascinating, in-depth look at the seemingly unconnected events that led to the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. It's based on my book of the same title. In that book and in this podcast, I go all the way back to 1939, when Lee Harvey Oswald was born into a troubled and dysfunctional family. I'll follow his transient and often violent teenage years and young adulthood, painting a fuller picture of the man who would later become Kennedy's killer. I also take a look at events unfolding in that era, like Cuba and Vietnam, and I'll unpack the conspiracy theories, too, not one of which has ever been conclusively proven. Subscribe to Countdown to Dallas at evergreenpodcasts.com or your favorite listening app, October 31st. And that's when I actually wanted to, uh, they were searching for a specific house of another Confederate sympathizer named Colonel Cox. And yeah. um, they found this local man, Oswald Swan. Right. But Oswald Swan mm -hmm. that agreed to guide him to Cox home, but only if you're like received the payment. They paid him and he brought them over to Colonel Cox. But the hospitality didn't really last long because Cox was very well aware that like, all right, like you have to understand the whole world likes after you right now. The whole nation is after you. And so, also, I think with Cox, is that when he, when Booth started reading the letters? Is that when he started getting yeah. the. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah. So what happened was Booth. And this is big, too, because Booth thought he was going to be praised as a hero. And then he's starting to read from the newspapers that they're not calling him that. They're calling him a common cutthroat. People are calling him a monster, a madman. And these are even ones, even in the South, like papers that he thought would be supporting him are actually coming out and saying, I don't think what they killing Lincoln was the right move. Yeah. Right. You have um, General, Confederate General Johnny uh, Joseph E. Johnson calls it a disgrace to the age. Robert E. Lee comes out against it. All right. A lot of Southerners were kind of like, I'm not saying all Southerners were for it. A lot of Southerners were like, all right, great, great, great job, Booth. They did seem as a hero. But a lot of them were like, oh, I think what you did is you just made things worse. Now the North is going to be mad at us. They're going to be vengeful towards us because we killed Lincoln. You know, a lot of them saw Lincoln as kind of like at least someone who wanted to bring the country back together, or at least because Lincoln was outright saying, listen, we're not punishing the South. They don't know what they're going to get with yeah. someone else. So they kind of like knew what they were going to get with Lincoln. They don't know what they're going to get with, with Johnson. So they were kind of angry at Booth. And even them were saying there was no need, need to necessarily kill the guy. So yeah. he was kind of shocked at that, this. So now they, I don't know what Booth thought he was going to do. Like, where is he going to go? What was, what was he going to do? You well, know? that's kind of where the United States federal government gets pretty good at this because not only do they take over the Surratt Tavern, and um, which is in Maryland, but also the Surratt, Mary Surratt's um, boarding house in Washington, D.C. They also take over Mudd's farm, Dr. Mudd. Then they basically start rounding up every Confederate sympathizer that is but known know, to be a sympathizer yeah. in Maryland. So his options, Booth's options are kind of running out because it's like, wait, he can't even turn anywhere. Even Cox is like, you guys have to get out. And because, even they know, like if anyone helps them, they're just going to, like, even yeah. if he gets away, 
they're just going to like, when I say they, like the government is going to come and they're going to take everything. They're, they're going to make your life miserable. So you're better off not helping them. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Right. I mean, Even his own family was arrested. Like they arrested his brothers, his, yeah. his mother, father, like everyone's detained for questioning. So it, it's almost like don't touch Booth like in any way, shape or form. Um, so it was very obvious for Booth by like April 23rd, like hiding in the woods in Maryland is not going to cut anymore because there's no more safe houses. There's no more sympathy, no more support. So he needs to get to Virginia, right? Because at the end of the day, Virginia is the heart of the Confederacy. Um, and although Maryland remained in the Union, again. He thinks it, he'll be protected there, yeah. Yeah, it's not as good as he would be protected in Virginia. So um, during the night of April 23rd, Booth and Harold successfully crossed the Potomac River uh, they were in Virginia, not far from a home of Thomas Harbin. Um, Harbin was actually approached as a possible resource during the kidnapping planning stages way before this. But this time around, he kind of hesitates to help them following the assassination. He's like, no, you can't stay here. Uh, again, this is Virginia. So Booth's like, wait, we're in Virginia. And he's like, yeah, the war's pretty much over. Here's some horses. Here's supplies. But I'm not giving you shelter. Just like you need to go. So they yeah. actually ride to Dr. Richard Stewart who's a relative of Robert E. Lee. Um, and they're like, look, we did this for the Confederacy, you know, your relative Robert E. Lee. And Dr. Stewart also refuses them medical assistance, um, basically of any kind. He's like, all right, go. And he actually suggests to them, this is interesting, because he says, what you could do is you could go to this other cabin that is now occupied by a black family and you could stay there and hide out. And Booth was like too proud. He was like, what? I, I'm the you know, indignity of sleeping in a black man's home. Um, you know, he's like, I'd rather sleep outside. So he just continued. Well, he sleeps on the porch, I think. Doesn't he sleep on the guy's porch? Yeah, he like refused to sleep in a house. So what they, what they start doing by this point too is they're not going around letting people know that they're Booth and Harold. They're, yeah, they're yeah. going, they're going by fake names. They're saying that they're injured Confederate soldiers. And they actually because get Confederate point, clothes, right? They get Confederate. Soldiers yeah, they get clothes. Confederate clothes. Yeah, because. Well, the war's over, yeah. so a lot of Confederates are wounded, yeah. and they're coming back home. Yeah. So they kind of like blend in with that. This idea of like, yeah, we're also returning home. Um, so John Wilkes Booth became John W. Boyd, um, and they actually hitched a ride with a bunch of soldiers that were um, ferried over, um, you know, deeper into Virginia, yeah. and then they rode in a wagon together. And that's when they meet William Jett, right? Willie Jett. Yep. So, so Willie Jett prepares a house for them to go into, but it was occupied by two unmarried women, and they are like, it's too improper for us to stay here. <laughs> like yeah. it's, it's it's all that like old you know that 1860s. It's like oh no, yeah. these are unmarried women. We can't be seen. We don't want to. Like it's just very strange. You just killed somebody. and You're worried about that sort of stuff. Yeah, you killed right? the president what, of the United States. What, 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 what are people going to think? So they continued, and that's when they eventually come to the house of um, Garrett Richard Garrett. Richard right? Garrett. Richard Garrett on April 24th, and they managed to convince Garrett that he and Harold were soldiers, and that his um, broken leg was a war injury from the Battle of Petersburg, I believe, or something yep. like that. And Garrett seemed to believe him at first. And for the first time in a week, uh, Booth actually had a real bed to sleep in and stuff like that. And that's when things start to uh, change. But he was in their house. He was drinking their whiskey. He played with their children um, and things. And then eventually Garrett started to grow um, suspicious. suspicious of them. He's like, yeah. something's going on here. Yep. Um, and the reason for He's it is because a detachment, right? It was a detachment that was commanded by Lieutenant yep. Colonel Everton Conger. 
Uh, he was like an experienced intelligence officer. So this detachment of soldiers actually arrives in Virginia near Garrett's farm. When Booth finds out about this, him and Hurts, basically yeah. like run away to the woods real quick. And Garrett's like, wait, what just happened? You know, like and he's kind of like, back that's, and like, that's yeah, weird. Something's going on, yeah. And then they like that night when this detachment of soldiers leaves, they come back. And at that point, you have Garrett's like, uh, yeah, I don't want you guys staying here anymore. Um, and he kind of feels a little suspicious as to what is going he on. He puts him in the barn. But there's also a um, story that came out I was reading from Garrett's 11-year-old son, Richard. He was actually there at the time, right? Mm-hmm. He later becomes a Baptist minister. And he says that um, like all the Confederate mail delivery had ceased when the Confederacy collapsed. So we, actually, the Garrett's had no idea that Lincoln was even assassinated, right? Mm-hmm. And when they were having dinner one night with Booth, they learned of the surrender of the Confederate army. So it's kind of like that's the end of the war. And they learn um, about Booth's attempt to save the Confederacy by assassinating Lincoln, right? Yeah. So they learn of his death, uh, and they learn, and they also learn of the big re- reward. And uh, Booth said that Garat displayed no reaction when asked if the other family member would turn in the fugitive. But some of the older brothers said, um, "Yeah, we would, because we could really use that money." So yeah. that's when, um, and this is how they acted. He said that um, Booth had the plan to maybe run to Mexico. This is just all hearsay. Obviously, they don't know if this yeah. is actually like true or not. But it just kind of gives it a bit of idea. This is a firsthand account of someone who was actually there talking about a little bit that, you know, once also when they're talking about the money, then people start to like change a little bit. But he, he knew something was up. Garrett, he, Richard Garrett yeah. definitely knew there was something going on. These guys are not who they said they are. He said, you can spend the night, but you have to spend the night in the barn. Yep. Well, and so as they're in the barn this other night, because again, after first being in a house, so the next few nights they're in the barn and in the middle of the night, like 2 a.m., um, April 26th, um, Conger basically and his detachment of, of uh, federal cavalry arrives at the Garrett's house. Well, because they track down Jet. They track down yeah. um, Willie Jet and they interrogate him, which probably means they beat the heck out of him, right? And he's like, so yeah, there's two him. guys. One has, this he has tells a limp. Him, yeah. Yeah. He tells me I dropped him off at, at the Garrett farm. So that's it. They like, all right, did, now we got him. And, they, and again, uh, they don't know they if it's Booth yet. Like, they still yeah. think it's these, but they know yeah. it's Booth, but like, you know, they don't know it's Booth. Um, yeah. So they get there and they're actually like telling Garrett, like, where are these people that are staying in your house? He's like, no one's staying at my house right now. And they actually place a rope around his neck. Like, we'll kill you. This is what U.S. Cavalry's doing. Yeah, like, we'll we kill, kill you like, yeah. if you don't, don't tell us this. where you're hiding these people. And then finally his son's like, well, we did tell these two soldiers that they could stay in our barn. And that's what basically sets up the last hours of John Wilkes Booth. Yeah. Um, so they, go, uh, um, they surround the barn, right? Harold gives up right away. David Harold gives yep. up right away. Booth refuses. Doesn't I believe Booth doesn't he? I saw something that he actually challenged the. Um, he does. I actually just read like the whole thing about it. It was pretty insane. He challenged Union Commander for his freedom, right? Yep. He He's did. like, I'll, I'll, yeah, and they, they, they challenged him to a duel. He literally said, and, "You ready?" Because yeah. I got this. He goes, Captain. Yeah. You know, he called out right, and he goes, and I quote. I know you to be a brave man, and I believe you to be honorable. I am a cripple. And then he kind of goes in, I have got by one leg. If you will draw, withdraw your men in line 100 yards from the door, I will come out and fight you. Like, that was his thing. Like, they were, he was going to basically have a duel with him. It's like, I'll, if you'll take your men 50 yards from the door, I'll come out and fight you. Give me a chance for my life. Um, and Baker, yeah, like, you, they declined. Yeah, well, he said, no, and then they set the barn on fire. Yep. So there's like, no, and get out here. We're not messing with you anymore. And they set the, the barn actually on fire. So yeah. that kind of like, all right, now, now you're going to come out no matter what. And I guess when he's in there, conflicting reports, right? Some say he runs out. Others say that he's still inside when he gets shot. He right? apparently, based on what I saw, was like about to get out, 
when he does come to get, the door, yeah. yeah, he gets shot by a trigger happy soldier, basically. Yeah. Sergeant Boston uh, Corbett, which uh, Conger actually wanted him to be brought up on charges because they yeah. wanted to take Booth alive. And he lied to he him, too, because to, he said he saw him reaching for a gun or a pistol. Exactly. Or something. And then afterwards, like, as Conger runs in, and it's like Booth's like, because he heard the shot that this guy shot through like this space in between two wooden planks. Uh, boots on the ground in a fiery thing. They drag him out of the fire and Conger, the commanding officer, is like, why on earth did you shoot him? And the other guy's like, uh, uh, I did not shoot him. Like, he shot himself. Uh, he he might have been just going for a gun. It's like, uh, fishy. And later yeah. on, he actually said, like, yeah, I, I, I shot him. God told me to do it. He saw it. He shot him. And he shot him right through his neck, which just, like, destroyed his vertebrae. He um, severed his spinal cord. I mean, it was yeah. a, he didn't kill him instantly. It paralyzed him. But it was a yep. death shot. That was it. it he was. wasn't. You're not recovering from that, especially in 1865. And this is kind of interesting too, because, and I always thought that this was the the last words. But then when you start looking into the reports of this firsthand accounts, so basically he's laying there bleeding profusely from his neck, and they uh, the U.S. Army men kind of get really close to his mouth, and after several attempts. Uh, he finally speaks and he said, tell mother I die for my country. My country, yeah. And uh, Conger like, wants to desperately to confirm the accuracy of what Booth had said as if these are his last words. So he basically keeps on repeating it. Tell mother I die for my country. Like, is that what you said? And then they say again, is that what you said? Booth's like, yes, he whispers. So they're like, okay, these are Booth's last words. Tell mother I die for my country. Um, tobacco Barn is fully ablaze right now. So they grab Booth by the arms, the shoulders, and legs and kind of like march him to the farmhouse. They climb up the stairs and laid Booth flat on the wood plank um, porch. On the porch, basically. basically. Yeah. yeah, that's where and he's going to That's where he's going to die. But the blood is like pulling from his, you know, uh, pulling from the his head neck, yeah. everywhere. Um, they actually, the Garrett girls carry an old straw mattress from the house and laid it on the porch for him. So instead of putting him on the mattress, they actually like kind of folded it and put it under Booth's head and shoulders. And that's when Booth started kind of reviving a little bit. And he started to talk in a whisper about talking. And then he asks um, if they could like roll him over to the side. He wants to see his hands, right? He wants to see his hands. He wants to see his hands. They wants to be rolled over to the side. And he's actually trying to cough, um, but it's not letting him cough. So he asked them um, if they could put their hand on his throat to press it down. Um, So one of the soldiers does. And he like says harder. But, you know, they do, and he just still can't get a cough out. However, the soldier says, like, look, open your mouth. Like, let me look in your mouth if there's any blood anywhere. And they realized the inside of the mouth was actually okay. So they tell Booth, like, all right, you're not going to choke on your blood. It's fine. But it wasn't the point. I mean, it severed his spine. And he was going to die anyway. Yeah, and then they, he wants, he, they bring his hands to his face, right? He asks for yeah. that. He says, useless. And I think he passed approximately 7.15 a.m. And that's it. He's dead. And then this is going to get, you know, published that the, you know, assassin of Lincoln killed. Which is nuts because they, they really want. Yeah, you're right. It was my hands and useless, useless. And they said those are the last things. He said useless, useless. That's looking at his hands. And then he like gasps and that's it. But the bottom line is they didn't want him dead. Like. No, they wanted to fight, see if there were more conspirators. They wanted to see if this was tied in with, let's say, the Confederate government in some way. So there was a lot of information they wanted to get from Booth. They could only get from Booth um, because they do interrogate um, Harold. And he eventually gets hanged. Yep. Along with, I think, eight other conspirators. Yeah, right? and Mary, Mary Surratt so, uh, gets yeah. hung as well. And she's actually yeah. the first woman ever to be um, assassinated, well, not assassinated, but killed by the United States federal government. Oh, 
interesting yeah. enough. Oh, yeah. um, Booth's body is taken to Washington, D.C. It's secretly buried in like a city's old penitentiary. Um, no one's really told where it's buried. And then four years later, President Andrew Johnson actually returns Booth's body to his family. And today, John Wilkes Booth is buried in an unmarked grave in the yeah. Booth family plot at Greenmount Cemetery in Baltimore, Maryland. No one actually knows which grave is his. There's been a lot of... Um, there's some people who like, said that they were him, right? Yeah, there's people that said they were him. So there's a lot of people that want to like raise the grave and like do DNA testing because there was this one theory that it was a lookalike that, that died. And I, um, he actually survived and went by the name of uh, James William Boyd or something like that. No, David E. George, I'm sorry. And uh, he left and he started living in... First, he was called uh, John St. Helen. And uh, he lived in Texas. Yep, and then I he uh, got ill, right? Then almost died and then confessed that he's actually John Wilkes Booth, but then recovered. He's like, oh man, everyone knows I'm John Wilkes Booth now, so I'm leaving. And then he um, went to Oklahoma, called himself David E. George, and then he wound up committing suicide. And they, they, it was basically just made up. I kind of found too that it's because this one guy um, had St. Helen's body mummified and called the man who killed Lincoln kind of sent it like, like a carnival sideshows. Yeah, they said it was like just sitting there for people to see. Yeah, because there was later a lot of um, people who knew who Booth was, plus Booth's own family identified the body and said, yes, that's Yeah, that's another thing. Yeah, that's so song. that's what's crazy because as soon as his, he was killed, um, he was delivered by USS um, Montauk, I think, picked up, brought over to Washington, D.C.'s Naval Yard, and there was a pretty extensive identification and autopsy process. Like, And they basically even determined, like he died from paralysis it was the cause of death like he stopped breathing because of paralysis um so we knew for a fact that that was his body the real guy that was shot um so anybody that showed up afterwards like this guy you're talking you're talking about definitely was not booth but we still don't know where booth is i mean we don't know well they don't know the exact spot of the grave yeah, 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 yeah. i guess and some then, people they know where it's buried because they do want to exhume it it keeps on being um denied though hmm. interesting interesting um so all of his possessions were sent over to the War Department, um, including actually his diary, which he kept up writing even when he was during you know during his twelve day manhunt. And what's interesting is that it eventually becomes lost at the War Department, and then it's rediscovered in eighteen sixty seven. So a couple years later, but when it's rediscovered, it is rediscovered at the War Department, but it's missing. Um, 43 sheets uh which is like 86 pages front and back right of the entire um diary and the people are like wow we don't know why it's missing the forensic analysis indicates that they were cut with a knife um secretary of war stan claimed that the sheets were missing when he received the diary in 65 but others kind of speculate that they perhaps have been removed because of what they contained some potentially some information about conspirators um that might have pointed to a larger government conspiracy again it's one of those like you know jfk versus yeah every time something's going to happen where they don't have total answers there's going to be things the thoughts different theories are going to branch off from that you know nuts and that's nuts. basically what's going to happen there so yeah there's a, there's a link, a but that's uh, basically how Booth got captured. He got and uh, you know taken out basically, and he was going to get killed regardless. They were going to hang him. Yeah, yeah, but it was supposed to show yeah. like the, the the American you know judicial system and how well it works. It just it never got to that. Well, yeah, I think it would have been a military tribunal though, or something yeah. like that. Huh? Yeah, they just kill him. I mean, didn't something happen to the guy that actually killed him? 
Didn't he have like a pretty bad life or something crazy happened? Yeah, well, he was. Yeah, he wasn't exactly the best people. He was kind of court martialed. No, I, I think so, not court martialed, but taken out later on. Yes, I know something happened to him. Um, but anyway, that's for another day, I guess. So that's a nice uh, short podcast about the twelve days of uh, the biggest Final manhunt. Yeah, a little American bit about history. what's going on there. The manhunt. Maybe they had all ten thousand federal troops get involved in this. It was a big deal, obviously, yeah. but it was huge. They were going to find this guy, and they probably you know they were supposed to take him alive, but. Just to take them alive, it's a lot easier said than done to do that. No, I was always shocked at the number of people that were like, at least in the beginning, that were helping him. Yeah, but I quickly turned. But you know yes, what? No yes. one really turned him in for the hundred thousand. They didn't turn him in. They didn't turn him in. They they, if they said anything, it was because they were being interrogated or because you know they were more threatened with violence than anything else. It wasn't the money that turned them in. And a lot of people who knew he was, they didn't. I said, you can't stay here. But they're, they're, I'm not going to help you. But I'm not going to turn you in either. You mm-hmm. know. But also like back then, how are you going to turn someone in? Yeah, right. So it's easier said than done. You're not gonna, you can't just call the cops and try to keep the guy here. One of those things. Well, today, uh, the house where he was um, killed at is no longer there. Um, there's a, a historic marker that says that plots, here yeah. you once stood a house where you know the Garrett's place where John Wilkes Booth, assassin of Lincoln, was cornered by Union soldiers and killed. So that's gone. It is near uh, U.S. Route 301 near Port Royal. Interesting. Anyway, so that's it. Thank you very much, guys, once again, for tuning in to our little podcast. And we really do appreciate it. So if you guys ever need to contact us, please feel free to do so. You can reach us at www.historyteacherstalkingpodcast.com. Please leave us a review wherever you listen to this podcast. We really do greatly appreciate those. And we hope you have an amazing week. Till next time, guys. Bye. Stay safe, everyone. I hope everyone enjoyed our podcast, and if you would like to email us, you can do so at historyteacherspodcast at gmail.com. I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of Warriors in Their Own Words, a podcast that presents the unvarnished, unsanitized truth of what we have asked of those who defend this nation. As a country, we need these stories more than ever. Stories from Americans who have borne the battle, including 30-year-old remastered interviews with veterans from World War I recounting their time in the trenches of Europe, and with veterans from World War II, Korea, Vietnam, and from our most recent conflicts in Iraq, Afghanistan, and other battlefields Americans may never have heard of. Hear their stories by listening to Warriors in Their Own Words wherever you find podcasts.